everybody. I think we are on lesson five here. We're diving into Joshua seven and eight. Hope you guys are doing well. This couple chapters is going to kind of get into the heart of what I want to spend the second half of the entire class to, to zoom in on and focus on the um, the, the command that God gives to devote people to destruction. So we got some heavy stuff. So maybe you're going to sit down for this one. Got some coffee. I got some coffee. And we'll, we'll dive in. Let me give you a review real quick. Joshua has led the people into the promised land. They've crossed the Jordan. He had an encounter in the last a couple chapters with the commander of the Lord's army. And that is going to inspire confidence, right? But also fear in a healthy way. And Israel has been given specific instructions regarding the devoted things. There are treasures that are to be devoted to the treasury and people devoted to destruction. And so with that review, here we go. Chapter seven, verse one. It says, but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. Why? Well, because Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, notice his family is described in detail here, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. So Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And when they returned to Joshua, they said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there for they are few. This does not sound good, does it? So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of the men and chased them before the gate as far as uh, Shebarim mm -hmm, and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people of Israel melted and became as water. Remember, that's what happened to Israel's enemies. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads because Joshua has no idea what Achan has done. So verse 7, Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. This, this sounds actually like the Israelites when they were in the wilderness generation who did not end up inhabiting the land. So you kind of wonder, man, is that how this is going to work out? Maybe I'll give Joshua a little slack here. He doesn't know what Achan has done, but it sure kind of seems like he's sincerely concerned about um, 
God's name, which we'll read in a couple of verses, but also he seems like he's accusing God. He says, verse 8, O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? I wonder if there's a connection there to what God said to Cain after Cain killed Abel. God says in verse 11, Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put themselves among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted to destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. Notice this is an issue of holiness. Israel has become unholy as a community, and they all are to consecrate themselves. I'll talk more about this at the end. Verse 14, in the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes. And the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near by man, near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he's transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he's done an outrageous thing in Israel. I just want to notice here the covenant that's highlighted. Israel has a special covenant relationship with God. They had said earlier, all God has said we will do. And so now something, of course, has gone terribly wrong. Verse 16, so Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe. And the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah and the clan of the Zarahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zarahites man by man. And Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man. And Achim, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah was taken. Remember when his family was described in detail earlier. Then Joshua, verse 19 said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden 
in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. You guys have heard me talk before about the saw and took design pattern throughout the Old Testament. Eve was the first. She saw the fruit was good and pleasing, and she took it and gave it to her husband. So there's this design pattern of seeing and taking all throughout the Old Testament. And it's worth noting here it says that the devoted things Achan took are hidden in the earth inside his tent. We'll come back to that. Verse 22, so Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. I think this is the third of seven heaps of stones that function as some kind of reminder in the book of Joshua. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city, his land. Notice now God is giving direction to take all the men. And before Joshua heard instruction to just take a few thousand. Verse 2, and you shall do to King Ai, to Ai and its king, as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. I'm interested that the livestock is now okay to take, whereas other times every sheep, cattle, donkey is to be devoted to destruction. So we'll come back to that language in future classes. So Joshua and all the fighting men rose to go up to Ai, and Joshua chose 30,000 men of valor and sent them out by night. And he commanded them, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready. And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. When they come out against us, just as before, we shall flee before them. And they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say they are fleeing from us just as before. So we will flee before them. Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city. For the Lord your God will give it into your hand. As soon as you've taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I've commanded you. So Joshua sent them out and they went to the place of ambush and lay between Bethel and Ai to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent the night among the people. Joshua arose early in the morning, mustered the people, went up, 
he and the elders of Israel before the people of to Ai. And all the fighting men who were with him went up and drew near before the city and encamped on the north side of Ai, with a ravine between them and Ai. He took about 5,000 men, set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai, to the west of the city. So they stationed the forces, the main encampment that was north of the city and its rear guard to the west of the city, which Joshua spent that night in the valley. Lots of descriptions here, right? It's interesting how detailed this is. Verse 14, uh, we're in, we're in chapter 8. As soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all his people, the men of the city, hurried and went out early to the appointed place toward the uh, Arabah, Arabah, to meet Israel in battle. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all, the, all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. And all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua. They were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. Hey, real quick, does that sound familiar? Moses stretched out his hand with a staff over the water. Verse 19, And the men in the ambush rose quickly out of their place. And as soon as he stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it. And they hurried to set the city on fire. So the men of Ai looked back. Behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven. And they had no power to flee this way or that, for the people who fled to the wilderness turned back against the pursuers. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city and the smoke of the city went up, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And the others came out of the city against them. So they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And Israel struck them down until none was left that survived or escaped. But the king of Ai they took alive and brought him near to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness, where they pursued them, and all of them to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword. On that day, both men and women were 12,000, all the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Only the livestock and the spoil of the city Israel took as plunder according to the word of the Lord and commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it forever a heap of ruins as it is to this day. And he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. That is seen as a curse in um, the ancient Near Eastern um, times, and, and Israel would see it that way. And at sunset, Joshua commanded, and they took his body down from a tree, threw it at the entrance of the gate of the city, and raised it over, uh, raised over it a great heap of stones, which stands there to this day. Just keep reading that, don't we? This stands there to this day comment. Last section, guys, almost done. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it was written. 
in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. They offered it on burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Guys, remember, Joshua was basically to be a Bible nerd and study the law. Verse 33, And all Israel, sojourner, as well as native-born, and including Rahab and her family, right? With all the elders and the offices, officers and their judges stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing, the curse, according to all that's written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. Ooh, okay. We got three minutes for some reflection. That was a lot to read. So I was in 1.5 speed mode there. Four things to highlight in this. First off, this topic of holiness is a community matter for Israel. God has made a special covenant with Israel, and he didn't make it with any other nation at that time or since. And they were to be a kingdom of priests. There's a special function that God had for this nation thousands of years ago. And God lived in their midst. And so being in God's presence and being in a covenant with a holy God is serious business. And if one disobeyed, all were liable. They had all become unholy. In other words, unholiness was contagious. And only God could make them holy, but they could make themselves unholy. And that's what had happened here. Rahab and Achan, here's a second thing I want to make note of. They are juxtaposed in the text by tons of details. And I don't have time right now to go through all of them, but let me just see if I can highlight a couple of them. Uh, Rahab is described. Her details are given about who she is and her profession when she's introduced in chapter two. In chapter seven, Achan is described in detail. What, what family he belongs to. And obviously Achan would be seen in high regard being in the line of Judah, especially in light of what you and I both know about the line of Judah. The promises that were given to Judah in Genesis 37, that there would be a great king. And of course, Jesus becomes that great king. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. What else can we make note of? I'll just mention a couple others. Rahab and her family are saved because what she had done, she hid the spies in her home. And when confronted by a king, the king of Jericho, she uh, lied about where they were and who they were. And what ended up happening was her 
town was put on fire and she was saved. What about Achan? Of course, he hid the devoted things. And when approached by Joshua, who functions in some ways as a king here, he confesses and what happens to him and his family, but they are stoned and burned. So there's a lot of other details that parallel them, but it seems pretty obvious that the writer of Joshua is intending to put those two in parallel to make some significant points that I think uh, I want to highlight in the next couple points here. So let me finish up. Rahab's salvation stands as a reminder that God wants to save the Canaanites. I, I asked earlier, why is Rahab put at the front of these narratives? Many commentators argue that the specifics of Jericho and Ai, which are described in detail, show what went down in other cities later on that don't get as much attention in Joshua. So this story argues against what Dawkins claims that God's commanding genocide. There's not ethnic motivation here. Something else is going on. And of course, one more thing worth mentioning, Rahab is Jesus's great, great, many great grandma. Just read Matthew 1. She's in his genealogy. So when I said in this class, I said this once in class and a student was utterly shocked by it. It was one of those cool moments. And I think this just shows God cares for every person in the world. And he wants to be a, to bring a blessing and restore the world and all the nations in it. And I think the story of Rahab shows that in, in uh, great detail.